podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Salah. Escape Cancelo. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and scored a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. And it's Ward. Martinelli. Gorgeous. Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, Riley Finch. It's game week 21, and you know what that means. It's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable. We had derbies, derbies, derbies last week. Uh, we've got one derby uh, this week specifically that is maybe not derby in nature, not derby in terms of geographical locations, but we'll get to that game soon enough. And the reason I tease that is because our guest is very much linked to that game, young journalist Riley Finch. Riley, welcome back. Uh, you you haven't been back since the World Cup break. How are you how are you feeling? Are you refreshed? Are you rejuvenated or hoping the World Cup comes back? Uh, I think the World Cup was a nice break from uh, my football club, who obviously will name, you know, we have spoken about it prior to the podcast. We're not talking about West Ham. You know, the, the, it's nine <laughs> games this week. We're just doing nine games this week. I don't know what you're talking about with the derby. But um, it, was a, it was a nice uh, change of pace, even though England can be as frustrating as West Ham at times, I think, uh, especially like with... David Moyes and Southgate, they both share a lot of similarities, to be honest. Um, and I kind of don't want both of them in charge of the uh, the clubs, I guess, that I support. But um, it was a really exciting World Cup as well. But I'm I'm keen. It's, it's very weird, obviously, with the split. It feels like um, not necessarily the hype's gone. Maybe it's because, obviously, we're doing so bad. But it's kind of like the hype's gone with the season a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping to get a couple more weeks of Premier League under my belt and then start getting sucked into the whole, you know, relegation stories, the who's going to get Europa stories, obviously the enjoyance of downfalls of clubs such as uh, <coughs> Liverpool and Chelsea, um, <laughs> which is always fun to see. And Tottenham, of course, as a West Ham fan, is always fun to see. But yeah, the World Cup was really good. It's great to see Messi uh, lift his trophy, the sort of final etch in his career. Yeah, it was that one missing piece, so to speak, for him. Um, and there are a few clubs in this transfer window that are trying to get the missing pieces that they need. Chelsea, certainly for one, are, are trying to plug as many holes as they can in this window. And, and I mentioned Chelsea because they're the first fixture of this weekend. It's Liverpool versus Chelsea, two teams that you mentioned in that group of teams that are struggling at the moment would have been looking at the league table, table and wondering how they got to these positions. But, for me, I think it's well-deserved. The league table doesn't lie. Um, you're there for a reason. Uh, I'll start with Liverpool and say they've been shocking. Uh, the win that they did get against Aston Villa, I thought Aston Villa could have easily gotten a point, if not more, from that game. They missed a couple of chances. And then the other win against Leicester. I mean, Leicester scored all of the goals in that game. So <laughs> I don't know what Liverpool have really done since the, the World Cup or what they even worked on. Um, during the World Cup break. It doesn't seem like they've changed much. Um, and Klopp seems to be 
using the approach of we'll fix it internally rather than going external. Whereas on the opposite end, um, Chelsea are trying to fix it externally with, with the amount of players that they're bringing in. I wonder if the expectation on Potter gets increased unnecessarily just because of how much they've spent and how many people they've brought in. Whereas he's one of those managers that needs time to bed in his style of play, get the players integrated. So I think that will be an interesting dynamic. But what are your thoughts and scoreline prediction for this game? As I said, two struggling teams that need three points uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, you mentioned the, the need of three points. I have to ask you, Tad, do you, do you think there is a possibility that one of these managers could be at risk of losing their job sometime soon if they don't get three points um, in this opening weekend? Funny enough, I I think Klopp is more secure than uh, Graham Potter purely mm. because I think Klopp has bought himself enough time with what he has done at Liverpool. I think the, the fans certainly the majority of fans, should I say, don't seem to be clop out. It's more an issue of the owners not investing and backing him than necessarily it's clop that's the problem. Um, me personally, I think with the way Liverpool run things, um, pretending to be a poor club and, and, and not, you know, always saying we don't have any money and then going and spending money on Gakpo and then turning around and saying, oh, we don't have any money. Um, with that style of, the way that they run things, I don't see many managers that could handle that. I mean, you know, we were speaking about Pochettino before the podcast. If he comes in, he's going to eventually face the same problems Klopp's facing, mm. where he's going to want to take the next step or, or invest more and he won't be allowed to. So personally, I think it's better off the owners leaving than Klopp leaving. Um, and I think the owners are, they don't want to rock the boat too much by getting rid of a really, really iconic and fan favorite in Klopp. Uh, I think that could, that could be, that could cause a lot more heat on them than they would necessarily want. They usually like to be in the background and people forget that they even exist. Uh, they, they tend to like it that way. Potter, if it was under Abramovich, he's probably gone by now, <laughs> but we just don't know with Bowley. Is he, mm. is he a pa- patient guy? Is he not? I think with Tuchel, the issue was Tuchel was quite vocal in what he wanted. I think Graham Potter will be, he'll play the nice guy. Like he's not going to call out Bowley or, or Chelsea for not backing him or anything like that. I think he'll, he'll buy himself time by being gracious and humble and just focusing on on-pitch stuff. But yeah, of the two, if I was to guess, I'd probably say Potter more likely to get fired. And then in the alternative of the two to walk away, I think Klopp would probably be the more likely to say, okay, yeah. maybe I'm not the right manager. Let me let me step aside. Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, I think the, the Chelsea fans seem to be back in Potter. Um, but Potter doesn't seem like a... He doesn't seem very in charge of the transfers at the moment. Like, they don't seem like Potter buys. Uh, I saw Leandro Trossard could potentially be leaving Brighton. I thought to myself... You know, surely he'd want uh, he'd want to come back to reunite with Potter, and instead they've gone for Mudrick, which is very strange. And that doesn't scream Potter to me. So it almost feels like potentially, uh, you know, Chelsea are waiting for maybe like a, a better manager to come in, and Potter's just kind of steering the ship at the moment. I'm not entirely sure because I do think he's a really good manager. Um, in terms of the, the actual way the two teams are going to line up, though, I don't think I've ever seen 
Chelsea and Liverpool in a weakest state of midfield than they are right now. In, in fact, often over the years, that's probably been one of the strongest points. You know, the Gerrards at Liverpool with the Xabi Alonso's, the, you know, the Lampards at Chelsea with the Essians. Like, you know, they've had world-class midfields over the years. And I feel like that is the arguably the weakest point of both of their teams. Um, and I have no idea what Potter's best team is. Um, I think Klopp kind of has an idea of what his best Liverpool team is. He doesn't chop and change too often. But with Potter, like, you know, he's still flirting with the idea of a three-back. He's still flirting with the idea of a 4-2-3-1. Uh, it's, it's a really difficult game to call for me. Um, I Personally, I think it's got a draw written all over it. I think both both sides are going to be a little bit hesitant. I mean, you know, they're going to be looking at the other end of the table. They're going to be waiting for the inevitable turn of results and turn of events where one of them is going to start climbing back up the table, um, getting the potential of... I mean, is top four gone for these sides, Tad? I, I would say in their current state, yes. Um, mm. I think Liverpool need to fix it by going into the transfer market. I, I don't see how they fix it without doing that. Um, for Chelsea... I think it's over as well in term, just because of the feel good factor that Man United and Newcastle have at the moment. You not only have to catch up to them, you then have to overtake them. Yeah. Um, and then you've got sides like Brighton and Brentford who are really well coached teams. They're not going to want to give that up. They're, you know, they're, they've got something to play for at the moment. They're not just come March. They're not going to be mid table, you know getting to the beach already, they're probably going to be up there as well. So a lot has to go wrong for so many other clubs, for these clubs to come back up. But I think the the only good thing for them is there's still a lot of football to play. I know we're in January, so it, it seems like we're getting to the end of the season. But because mm. of that break, there's still a lot of games to play. So both teams will be looking at it and say, if we go on a, th- a four-game run, you can climb up this table really, really quickly. As, as Man United have shown, they just shot up five games in a row, five wins, and all of a sudden, you know, they're the favourites to make top four. It, it, any one of these clubs could do that. Are, are they looking like they're going to do it? I'm not seeing it at the moment. They're going to have to show me. They're going to have to prove it. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting with the the way this season has all shaped out with sort of Chelsea and Liverpool both going through this transitional period um Spurs I thought would do a lot better than they've done this season and then you've got teams that don't normally actually capitalize on that I mean West Ham over the years as you've seen have done that um but it's not very often you see teams like Brighton Brentford Newcastle all capitalizing on this sort of lack of form for these big teams and they are really putting the pressure on so that's a really interesting aspect of this season um in terms of my actual prediction uh I do think that probably the the fullbacks is the weakest side of both teams I think Trent maybe unfairly at times has been criticised, but I really do think he's uh, a massive chink in Liverpool's armour at the moment. Just looking at his, even his body language for the goal that uh, was conceded this weekend, he's not tracking back enough. He, I mean, yes, it was at 3-0 against Brighton, um, but I don't know. And I think I think realistically, that's what Liverpool uh, Brighton did best. They sort of exploited the space out wide. Um, and I think if Chelsea were to do that, they would have a good time themselves. However... You also look at Chelsea's side and they've got Reese James injured still. Uh, I'm still not sure over, over Chilwell and who they play at left back at the moment. So I do, I think it's going to be uh, maybe like a timid opening to the weekend. I think it's going to, it's got like a 1 1 written all over it for me, Tad, personally. Um, it'd be, be interesting to see if Nunes can get uh, firing again. 
Uh, and obviously Chelsea have their own striker woes as well. So it's, it's really two clubs in very, very similar positions. The only uh, not similar situation is that Chelsea just seem to have money to spend wherever they want. I saw a, a picture on Twitter the other day of uh, can't pay, we'll take it away with a top bowling <laughs> potter at the front of it because it honestly does seem like Chelsea just have that money to flaunt at the moment. Whereas Liverpool, whether they have it or not, are not as willing to spend it. So uh, it's an interesting one. But as a Liverpool fan yourself, Tad, how do you see this one going down? Yeah, just on the money thing, Liverpool have the money. They're just choosing not to spend it, uh, unfortunately, for, for Liverpool fans. But yeah, from my perspective, I've not been optimistic going into any of these games because I've not seen any change in approach. We're going into this game doing the exact same thing that happened in the last game. We're susceptible to runners from midfield. And as poor as Chelsea's midfield has been, if they just have runners, the likes of uh, Mason Mount that like to drive from box to box, you know, they're going to be successful against Liverpool. And as you mentioned, the wide areas, they can exploit us there. I think this game comes down to how well Allison and Kepa play because both teams mm-hmm. are going to have chances. Both teams should score quite a few goals. I'm going to go with the 2-2 draw. I, I think it's a draw as well, but I think mm-hmm. just what the the woes that these teams have in midfield, neither team's going to be able to control the game. So it's just going to be a basketball end-to-end, <laughs> just firing at each other's goal and seeing um, who's going to be more clinical. Uh, but let's move on to Bournemouth versus Nottingham Forest. Now, obviously, Nottingham are starting to pick up some kind of form. It's sort of the complete opposite of Bournemouth. As soon as Bournemouth started doing badly, Nottingham all of a sudden started to get some results on on the board. And it seems like they've started to get an idea of what their starting eleven is, integrating the 7 billion players that they've signed um, in the summer and, and starting to get results out of them. But Brennan Johnson, a guy that they didn't sign, they had him in the club. He's playing really well. It's quite ironic mm-hmm. that after all these signings, it's, it looks like it's taking someone that was already there to, to try and drag them up the table. But am I wrong in saying Nottingham Forest come into this game as favorites, even though they're playing away from home and considering what has gone on in the season so far? I'd say so. I think uh, the fact that Solanke is out for Bournemouth is a huge blow to them. They just they did just get Neto back for Brentford, but a goalkeeper can only really do so much when you're defending the way you are. Um, and, and I think with Forrest, you know, you've got those sort of the game changing, the game winning players, such as, as you mentioned, Brennan Johnson. I think it'd be foolish to not mention uh, Gibbs White as well, who I think has been an absolute revelation to that Forest side. He's been someone that I've really wanted West Ham to sign for years. I've been uh, admiring him for years. Um, and I think he's really coming to his own in this Forest side. Uh, I feel like it's a case of Forest know how to score the goals. They know how to carve out chances. Um, Bournemouth don't look like doing that even with Solanke, but without him, it's like having Keith Moore there. It seems like their only route to goal is to try and float a ball in there and, and, and see if he can get his head on it. Um, but I do think they are somewhat stronger defensively than Forest. I feel like it is a case of two different games. You've got Forest, who I think are quite weak defensively. And then Bournemouth are a little bit stronger. There's not much in it, but they're a little bit stronger. Um, but they just don't know how to score goals. I saw the Brentford game at the weekend. And, well, I think it was on, uh, was it on the weekend? Yeah, well, on the weekend, I think it was. And they just, they there was nothing about Bournemouth that indicated to me that they're a side that even wants to stay up, uh, let alone that they actually might be able to do it. And, and realistically, this is a game that they absolutely have to win if they're going to hope to stay up. Um, but they always have this weird sort of, 
caretaker's curse when a caretaker manager comes in and you just get this massive boost. You know, we saw it under Solskjaer. We've seen it plenty of times before. And I think that is kind of what happened with O'Neill. And like Solskjaer, as soon as he's got the full job, maybe maybe players think their position's safe. Maybe they just don't feel like they need to impress them anymore. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but um, I'd definitely say Forrest are going to be favourites. And I'm actually going for a 2-0 win for Forrest here. Interesting. A 2-0 win. I've, we've kind of switched roles here with being which, which one of us is being conservative. I think it's a 1-0 Forrest win. Um, mm. You mentioned that slightly better defensive stability for Bournemouth. I think they will... Um, set up to make themselves difficult to beat in this game. Um, but Forrest will just, I think, keep trying and trying and trying and eventually blow the house down type of situation. I don't mm. think it's going to be the prettiest of games, uh, especially looking down the fixture list of the teams that are playing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think for, for Forrest, just get the result, <laughs> you know, and, and keep, keep going, keep climbing up the table. And see if this long-term plan of sticking with their manager, um, despite the troubles that they have, if that pays off, because they seem stable at the moment. Um, but another team that's hoping that sticking with their manager is something that will see them do better for the rest of the season is Leicester City. Now, Brendan Rodgers was one of those managers that was on the hot seat going into the World Cup, whether or not, you know, would he go, would he stay? He picked up a little bit of form before the World Cup, which probably saved his job. And then the moment they came back from the World Cup, they decided to do whatever it was that they were doing at the beginning of the season. Um, they come up against Brighton, who I think have been fantastic this season. Despite switching managers, they, they still seem as determined, as well coached, as disciplined. Um, and they're one of the fun teams to watch this season. My issue for Leicester is, I think a lot of their players wanted to leave and weren't allowed to leave in the summer. And it's just affected the whole season. They really couldn't be asked. They, you know, you're looking at um, players that obviously I'm sure they'll be professional and play the games, but that desire, that hunger that Leicester used to have, I'm not seeing it anymore. Um, and if you're going to play like that against Brighton, one of the teams that's probably one of the best well-coached teams in the league at the moment, I think you're in for a hiding. And I wouldn't be surprised if Brighton put up numbers like they did against Liverpool. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll probably give a prediction early on the back of that. I think it's going to be 3-1 to um, uh, three one to Brighton, to be honest. I think they're one of the most well-coached teams in the league. And I'm not sure how much that's actually got to do with the manager, because I'm sure if he was a smart manager, he would simply just come in and say, well, Whatever it is we're doing, you know, rule out the pot of playbook and we'll just keep doing it. And I'll keep <laughs> it happy and, and, and I'll try and get some transfers going and stuff. I, I, I don't really see the Desarby football or the Desarby vision just yet. It does seem like it is kind of just a copy and paste of Potter's Brighton, which obviously is a good thing. Um, and, and with Leicester, I completely agree with you. I think a club that was you know, so jointed by chairman and manager when they won the Premier League, and that sort of that, that that's just been on a downhill ever since. The fact that they essentially forced the sale of Wesley Fofana, um, they didn't get anyone in for um, Schmeichel. Vardy's getting on. They haven't really got a proper talisman. They rely so heavily on James Madison, and and honestly, I'm surprised Newcastle haven't gone back in for him because I think they probably would end up selling him. Uh, Rogers, he's just he's just, he's in between a rock and a hard place. He has, there's not really a lot he can do to sort of save this Leicester side at the moment. And 
I really do worry for them. I don't think they'll get relegated, but I do worry for them as to where they sort of go next season. You know, are they going to, these players who want out, Tielemans, Madison, I mean, surely they're not going to be there next season if uh, if they're performing this poorly. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't see Leicester getting anything really out of this game. And I think the fact that they're sticking with Rodgers as well is, is probably an indication that they don't want to do an Aston Villa and like, you know, or even a Chelsea and poach a new manager from somewhere else. Obviously, the manager market right now is very poor. Um, top runners are probably like Poch and Tuchel, but they're not going to Leicester, I wouldn't have thought. So then you look at Bielsa, Rafa Benitez, Nuno. Um, there's not really, I mean, Sean Dyche as well. There's not really that many great managers. So I suppose a lot of clubs are thinking to themselves, is it better just to stick with what we've got? Um but yes, it's going to be an interesting one, but I do think Leicester are in for a hiding here. They're going to get very much exposed by a very disciplined and well-drilled Brighton side. You say hiding, I say 4-0. I say 4-0 to Brighton. Wow. I think that win against Liverpool, um, and look, I, I predicted that uh, Liverpool going to lose that game 3-1. I gave Liverpool a goal. Uh, it turned out they, they weren't capable of even doing that. But mm. going into that game, you Brighton were clearly the more informed team. I think they were the team that should have been predicted to win that game. But you're still playing Liverpool. So there's still that bit of this is a big win. Even though if you took away the names of the of the clubs that were playing and you just looked at the form of the teams going into it, it would have been like Brighton were the favourites and deserved to win that game. But just the fact of we just dominated Liverpool. Um, we're now in a position where we really are looking at Europe and saying we could do this. You know, Mm. if you look at the teams below uh, Brighton, they're not showing any fight at the moment. We could pull away here. And an emphatic win after beating Liverpool, going back to back with big wins against another team who was a giant recently in Leicester, um, relatively speaking, obviously, but was a giant, um, especially when you look at them in comparison to Brighton. If we go in back to back and we beat both those teams, the, the sky's really the limit for us. So I, I think they're going to be really uh, inspired and, and, and pumped up for this game to put up a statement and say, we're, we're going up to top four. And if that is the ambition of top four or top six, whatever form it comes into um, European football for them, if it is the goal for them, you do have to win games like this. It's a tough game against a, a you know a, a team with really talented players, whether or not they're playing well or not. If your ambitions are for European football, you have to go and win games like this. Um, so we'll see how they get on there. We'll move on to the team that may have won last week, but are still bottom of the log, Southampton. They entertain Aston Villa. Now, I, I watched the, the game against Everton. I was interested to see how both teams were going to handle it. Uh, Southampton obviously come out of that one with the, with the win. The reaction from the players was really good. I thought they, they, they dug it in a little bit more. I mean, cause the Everton fans were, were staying in and doing a sit in protest. So you can also, you can almost gloat a little bit more than you necessarily might do if, if it's a almost empty stadium. But is this the turning point? Is this that point in the season that they look to and say, this is the point that we, we turned our season around? I'm not sure considering they're playing Aston Villa. Um, a team that I think Una Emery is starting to make, I guess, in, in his image and trying to make them a bit more difficult to play against, but with fluidity up front. 
And if he can just keep Bailey playing at the level that Bailey was playing at, I, I enjoyed Friday's game. It was Bailey, Bailey versus Noto and trying to one up each other pretty much all game. But if Bailey can play at that level and they can be defensively solid, I think they could turn over a lot of teams in the league. Um, and it starts with uh, another win here against Southampton. Yeah, I think. Honestly, Aston Villa probably one of the most well-run clubs in the Premier League with how they spend their money, which players they choose to sell. I mean, a few years ago, you probably would have said sending Jack Grealish would be one of the worst things Aston Villa could do. But they've bought, you know, fairly well. And, and I think the ambition to come to a team, especially like Villarreal, who have a very, very good chance of winning the Conference League. To go to a team like Villarreal and try and poach a manager like Emery was number one ambitious. The fact they managed to actually do it as well, they must have some really big plans for him in the future. Um, I'm surprised they haven't been as active in the transfer window as I thought, because again, I feel like Emery will want to make his mark on this squad. He'll want to implement his vision of his 4 3 his Emery ball. Um, but yeah, I just they, they, look, they look a different animal under Emery. All the problems that were there under Gerrard have just vanished. You know, I mean, you've, you've still got a tiny bit of defensive instability, especially with players like Mings. Um, but the midfield is just so well drilled. Um, they always look like they've got a goal in them, you know, with Bayer as well. Coutinho, I think, is a player that Emery can get back up to his best. Um, and realistically, Southampton were quite lucky, I think, to get the win over Everton. It was a, a James Ward-Prowse show, you know, a little bit of magic with his footwork for the, the first goal. And I, I'm not really... I keep looking at the free kick, but I, I, it's quite <laughs> a normal... It's a normal free kick as far as... Like, it just seems like Pickford just... Wasn't it really... won't be in his top 10, we'll say that. Much. No, but like, I mean, he scored 16 <laughs> of them, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, it was a very strange one. You know, I think, I feel like Pickford has to do better there, has to have a bit of better positioning. Um, and, you know, look, Everton themselves, they only scored from a corner, so it was a very drab, very boring game. Um, but it, you do see the togetherness there. You see Nathan Jones, he's quite excited to get his first win. The players do look like they, they want to put some effort in, they want to keep Southampton up. I just think if maybe if they were up against a Bournemouth for a Leicester this weekend, they might be able to get something going. But I feel like Villa are just going to, you know, be like, listen, mate, back down to reality. You're playing a proper team here. Um, and I think it's going to be 2-0 Aston Villa. Yeah. And even the fact that, yes, um, JWP stepped up this week, they're not getting goals up front. And that yeah. that is the bread and butter of staying in the Premier League. You need a forward that's going to get you that, the eight to 10 odd goals um, that will keep you up. Yes. The odd goals from midfield are great. Um, and it was good to see James Ward Prowse step up. Um, he's been under a lot of criticism recently about, you know, he, he has to lead this team. It's a very young team. They brought in a lot of young players. Um, so it was good to see him step up, but they still need that firepower up front in my opinion. Um, yeah. I've, I've gone three nil Aston Villa. I, oh, wow. I, I worry about um Southampton dealing with his pace out wide. I like the idea of Coutinho coming off the bench rather than starting, letting the game sort of slow down to his pace in terms of let everyone else get tired. Yeah. <laughs> let them get like 60, 70 minutes into their legs and then bring on Coutinho with his creativity. They've got willing runners with the likes of um Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings doesn't mind running in behind. Obviously, Bailey at uh, Buendia at times likes to run from midfield. Jacob Ramsey loves running from midfield. So they've got runners late on in games that Coutinho could easily pick passes for. I, I think 
that could be quite dangerous. It might be 1-0 going into the 60th, 70th minute. But once they bring Coutinho on with those runners, I think it's just going to um, start to split open Southampton. Uh, and then obviously, I think Southampton need Bill Akotchup to get back for this game. Um, oh, I know sure. he's got that knee injury, but he would be absolutely key in this game and, and trying to salvage something from this game. But, um, I'll let you run with this game. It's, um, it's titled here on the run sheet, the hot seat derby, but you gave it another name as well before we started the podcast. Um, it's West Ham versus Everton. Now, this is a game that, I think is must win for both clubs, but I'll, I'll let you deal with this game and, and then I'll come in on the back end. Well, it's, it's El Sacco, mate, because realistically <laughs> Lampard should be, I mean, Lampard has ridden his luck at Everton. I I don't, I don't know how he's still in the job and I don't know how Moyes is still in the job. You know, all I, all I can maybe point it towards is the fact that the manager market right now is not great for either club. You know, you you bring in Deitch, you, you get stability. You bring in Bielsa and you're taking a huge risk. You bring in Benitez. Well, Everton can't do that because they sacked him, I think, a year ago today, actually. Um, Nuno, again, is a bit of a risk. Uh, just both both clubs are just they're so hot and cold. I think either club could quite easily break into uh, the top seven, the top six. But either club realistically could get relegated this season. It's... it's it'd be naive to suggest that West Ham and Everton can both go down, to be honest with you, with the way they're playing at the moment. Um, from the West Ham perspective, which is obviously my forte, my perspective, um, we have had a few injuries, but it really doesn't excuse the way we've played. Side Ben Rama can't get into the side, despite being one of our best players. Um, in classic Moyes fashion, he's bought a player that he, he doesn't want in Skamaka. He's bought a player that doesn't suit his system. You know, he did the same with Haller. Skamak is a deep line forward. He scores most of his goals from almost from the number 10 position, you know, arriving into that little pocket and shooting from outside the box. I don't understand. I know the geezer's like six foot 12, but I don't understand why we're chucking the ball into the box, hoping that he's going to score a header when I don't believe he's even scored a header for us yet. So that doesn't make sense for me. And obviously defensively, we've just got so many mistakes in us, especially Creswell. We give away a sloppy goal week in, week out. Um, and I think the, the key for both um, clubs at the moment is that neither team are playing for the manager. You know, Moyes has undoubtedly lost the dressing room and it has a little bit more arguable if Lampard's lost the dressing room. But I think he's also lost the dressing room um, at Everton. And I just think these big name players need to start stepping up. From West Ham perspective, you know, the midfield is weak. The defence is weak. We don't set up for to optimise how we're going to score goals. You know, Bowen's gone dry. When Fournau starts, we're too defensive. Suchek is just too easy to pick apart. Rice goes forward too often. Um, and it just leaves us with this these holes in behind and these mistakes in us. Um, and then from the Everton point of view, where are the goals coming from? You know, Anthony Gordon has kind of lost his little hot streak. Um, Onana doesn't tend to be able to get the freedom uh, that he wants to be able to run into the box and make those sort of late Suchek-esque headers. And again, they are quite poor defensively as well. So it's going to be it's going to be a one 0 win. But to which side I'm still trying to debate in my head. I think the key here is is where the game is being played. I think if West Ham were travelling to Goodison Park, I think we'd edge out a one 0 win because the toxicity from the fans and the pressure of being in that game. I think will. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but the um, Everton directors were told 
um, not to turn up to the game, uh, the Southampton game. They were physically told it would be a safety risk if you were to turn up to your own ground against bottom of the league Southampton. That is how bad and toxic things have gotten at Everton Football Club. But the game isn't there. It's at the London Stadium. And trust me, things can be just as toxic there. Um, and I think because it's being played then, fans are going to get agitated. Fans are going to get pissed off. The you know, singing to sack Moyes. It's just not going to be a very good atmosphere for our players to kind of rally in and try and grind out a result. So with that said, I, I think it's going to be one new Everton and I think it's going to be curtains for Moyes. Oof. I hope it's curtains for Moyes. It would be a sad way for, for Moyes to go losing to, to Everton, especially in the state that they're in. But I think you mentioned a key point there. You almost, you want to be the away team in this game yeah. because of the pressure that the home fans would put um on, on on the home team you have to be on the front foot you have to give the fans a reason to to get off their seats and at the moment neither club is able to do that i still don't think Moyes knows what a starting lineup is uh, we're what 7 months into into the season um albeit obviously only 20 odd games into the season but still I would have expected at this point that he would have some idea of, okay, this is how we're going to play. And I'm going to yeah. stick with this system and these players for at least four, five games so that they get into a rhythm. They know how each other play. I've not seen mm. that yet, uh, which is really worrying. The away, <laughs> Everton's away form is a lot better. I think because they don't have to worry about whether or not their cars are going to be blocked when they're, when they're <laughs> driving out the stadium and then, and, and yeah. being stopped and, asked by fans whether or not they're committed to the club. Um, it is a different dynamic. You sort of get to get out of the city, um, especially, you know, coming all the way down to, to London. I, I think it's going to help the Everton players in this one. My, it, I'm torn, as torn as you were in terms of trying to see which way I lean on this game, because on paper, I don't see how West Ham can lose this game. The talent difference is is just so much like they shouldn't be losing this game but they just haven't gotten going um we can't both go for everton that okay i'm gonna go 2-1 everton i'm i'm uh, sorry west ham fans uh it seems there are no west ham fans on this podcast today <laughs> mate they'll just be happy you've given us a goal to honestly, at this point. i mean I, I and i think they'll be happy to lose it i'm but realistically, both managers deserve to lose their job after this game, regardless. Yeah. Unless, unless there's some sort of massive revitalization, it's a three or four nil win, which it won't be. Both managers deserve to lose their job today, tonight, at this very time at seven forty-one on a Monday Monday evening. They both deserve to lose their jobs. But you know, I think the fact that no one is better to replace them, the fact that um, they're, they're both trying to build projects, and you know, it's more so for Moyes. I mean. He's just spent 180 odd million and he's got his vision of his squad. Um, you know, we, we take that away and we lose everything we've built over the last two years. With Lampard, I don't understand how they're not saying, Do you know what, it's not working. Let's just get someone in, Deitch in, uh, Bielsa, anyone, just to see what's going to happen. Um, but I think, yeah, both both teams deserve, I, I think even Everton fans will be maybe a little bit willing to, you know, sacrifice a loss just to allow Lampard to leave. I know they're not happy with Lampard either, but. You know, as you alluded to at the start of the podcast, maybe it'll be good for Everton because maybe Moyes will leave and then go back to Everton. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the big issue as well for both clubs' fan bases would be the transfer window's closing soon. If these managers are still in place by the time the window closes, then you fire them. 
you're not really giving the new manager much time to sort it out externally. They now just have mm. to work with what's left, like whatever, you know. I don't think that's a bad thing for West Ham. I think we do need, we do just need a manager who's going to work with what we've got. Um, barring maybe like one or two positions, mainly the fullback area. We do just need, I mean, look at the quality of all of our players. We do just need a manager who's going to come in and, you know, get us out playing one style of football, knows his best team and has, you know, he's going to implement his vision. He's going to work with what we've got. That's another reason I don't think we'll attract a top manager because they'll want to implement their own players and their own vision as opposed to, you know, what I think Sullivan will say, which is we've got a great squad, turn this great team of players into an actual team. You know, whereas, whereas Lampard's and the Everton's point of view, um, they need players. They need a striker. They need fullbacks. They need better centre-backs. Um, so I definitely, I do agree with you on that one that, you know, the fact that the transfer window is closing fairly soon for Everton fans is definitely worrying. Worrying indeed. But let's take a quick break after that, give you some time to relax and, and, and compose yourself after after having to speak about West Ham. I know you didn't want to speak about them today on this podcast, but we'll be back right after this short break. And we are back, um, obviously, just spoken about West Ham and the game, the El Saco, as you've dubbed it, between them and Everton and then whether or not that's going to have ramifications on the managers involved in that one. But let's jump right ahead on the run sheet. I know it's the second last game on, on our run sheet, but I'm going to push it a bit up on the, up the table, so to speak, here, yeah, seeming as one of the teams involved is at, at the top of the table. The other one is on top of the form table, um, with Man United having won five games in a row. Obviously, Arsenal top of the table. Last time out, they won the North London derby against Tottenham Hotspurs. Now, before we jump into the game, we thought we would do a combined 11. Um, I thought our last combined 11 went quite well. Um, mm. So let's see how harmonious we can be in this one. Um, obviously, we start from the back as you do, build from the back going forward. Do you have a goalkeeper that you are more leaning more towards in, in, in the starting eleven? Well, um, I've had a chance to dry the tears from the previous conversation and, <laughs> and, and look at the other end of the table. Um, and I, I think if you're looking at quality of goalkeepers, you'd probably give it to De Gea. But the other thing I'm looking at here is, is squad morale and, and sort of when you talk about building from the back, I think Ramsdale is just one of them keepers where he's, he's going to be a character in the dressing room. You know, the stick that he gives to the away fans and the fans as well, I think is a, is a good component. You want your goalkeeper to kind of rile everyone out and make it seem like a rivalry. I mean, we talk about the, the West Ham Everton game wasn't a derby. This isn't a derby, but it also is. You know, both teams really do not like each other. And it's been quite a long time since... Um, there's been this much on the line in a game of this sort. So I'd personally put Ramsdale in there. Yeah, look, De Gea a couple of years ago, I think it's a no-brainer. De Gea Mm. at the moment, and with what I'm assuming will be a team that likes to keep the ball on the ground um, in, in what we're building here, I don't trust De Gea with his feet in terms of passing the ball out. Ramsdale at least gives us that. I'm not happy with either goalkeeper in terms of there's so many other people I'd rather have than them. I still think Ramsdale's positioning uh, can be suspect at times. 
but between the two, yeah, I think Ramsdale's a good shout. So we'll slot him in as our goalkeeper for Arsenal. Man United combined 11. Let's move to right back. Um, I guess the options are, I guess Ben White is a right back now, apparently. Um, he played well, uh, in the North London derby. Um, we've got Tomiyasu as well there. Um, I don't know if you want to throw in Wambasaka and Delo. Um, I'm starting to sense a theme here because uh, I'm leaning Ben White. I think mm. he's, he's, he's somehow become a right back. Um, and he's earned his place. He's keeping Tomiyasu out of the squad and I think deservedly at the moment. Yeah, I think Ben White's come in and, and it's always difficult, isn't it, when, uh, you, number one, when you're faced to sort of play a new position, but also when you've kind of lost your position, you know, Saliba and Gabriel are kind of the preferred centre-back pairing uh, for Arsenal under Arteta and he's been chucked in at right-back and he and he's done quite well there, I think. You look at Delo and I think Delo's probably a bit better going forward than Ben White, but Ben White's better defensively and then Wan-Bissak is kind of like a what could have been um, I'm still not 100% convinced on him. I do think one-on-one defending is still a very strong part of his game. But if we're, if we're looking at you know who United would probably opt for, they'd opt for Dallow. So therefore, go Dallow against Ben White. I think, well, are we playing like a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1? Like what's the kind of, what's the idea I'm, behind, do you reckon? I'm looking further up the pitch and I think it has to be 4-2-3-1 because we have, potentially a Bruno Fernandes versus Odegaard debate to happen. Mm. I'd rather okay. them playing behind a striker than necessarily in a three-man midfield. Well, in, that would in suit us case, better. Yeah, in, in which case I probably will opt for Ben White uh, because he won't need to get as far forward and he won't need to get on the overlap as much. He can just interchange with players like Saka, who probably will be in the team. But I, I'd go for Ben White. Okay, 2-0 to Arsenal so far. Um Okay, let's move to <laughs> let's move to center back uh, before we go to the opposite side of the the flank. Let's move to center back and and see if we can squeeze a uh, Man United player in here. Now I know Man United fans will be shouting for at the very least Varane to be in here, and I guess mm. some would be shouting for Martinez, saying you know he's played well. I just can't get over his height. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe 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 uh you know uh, I'm I'm a heightist and 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 but. I think we can get away with a Varane Saliba partnership. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm worried about Gabriel's. Sometimes he loses his head, um, yeah. and he's a walking yellow card slash red card at times. And I'm worried that he he might cause that uh, at some point um, in the season for us. But what do you think of my suggestions of uh, an all French uh, centre back partnership? No calls for Harry Maguire in this. Uh, oh in no, this no, 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 no! Look, the thing with Harry Maguire is, if if we are playing a a, a low defensive line, strictly counter attack football, which you probably could make with with this with this combined eleven, looking at the players that they have available, I'm worried about having both Varane and Maguire and balls over the top and asking them to turn around and chase. I don't think either of them can do that anymore at this stage. Obviously, Maguire, the ball playing is there. The heading is there. He's great in both boxes. But my worry is we're probably going to play a higher line than other teams would play. And I don't know if he can chase back. Mm. I'm happy to be convinced otherwise. I mean, Ten Hag can't even be convinced. We've seen Luke Shaw (laughs) at centre-back recently, which 
you know, I, I think Man United fans are getting a bit ahead of themselves. They think Luke Shaw's, you know, that's his preferred position. He's like, a, he's amazing at centre-back. But for me, Varane is an interesting one. I think I think we'll put Saliba in there. Um, I mean, he was brilliant at the start of the season. He's dropped off a little bit. Um, Gabriel this season has definitely looked like he's got a mistake in him uh, and, and at times has cost Arsenal. And like you say, he does, he's not very well composed. He doesn't look like he'll be able to build from the back. For me, Martinez has to be in there. He simply does. I mean, looking at his career and probably the overall quality of the player, Varane has a very good shout to be in this team. But Martinez has come in, being five foot nine, and he just is a monster. He just wrestles every single opponent. I mean, if, if we're talking about a back four, you'd say to Saliba, you know, you're the ball playing defender, you're going to build from the back, whatever. Martinez. I'm going to give you a name of a player and you're going to make the 90 minutes he plays on this pitch living hell. And he does it every single week, apart from when he came up against Haaland. But I mean, that's that's just a mismatch in itself. Um, so for me, I'd have to put Martinez in there. I think he's been a revelation for Manchester United. He His desire, his work rate is amazing. And sometimes you need that player who's just going to put in a thumping challenge and just let you know that you know, these tricksters, these wingers, they're not going to get away with it if, if I'm the squad. You know, if you want to try and roll me, if you want to try and do these fancy tricks, you're going to get clattered through. Um, and I think you need a bit of a bit of toughness in uh, in this squad because it's. I think United and Arsenal both lack a little bit of, of toughness in that sense. So I think he has to be in there for me alongside Saliba. Look, you've convinced me. And and looking at the rest of that back line, Ben White seems like a nice guy. Um Someone you could take home, um, you know, to the, meet the parents type of guy. Saliba, same thing. Looks like a nice guy. You do need a little bit of bastard in there, so to speak. And yeah. Martinez brings that in, in spades. So yeah, you've convinced me. Um, let's move on to left back. There are a plethora of options here, I think. Mm. Um, from the Man United side, obviously you've got the, the now, um, France Beckenbauer centre back in, in Luke Shaw. If you want to throw him in into the left back conversation, you've obviously got Malassia, who seems to have kept that jersey at left back at the moment. He looks so confident at the moment. Um, I don't think Ben Williams uh, gets a shot uh, for this team. And then on the Arsenal side of things, you've got um, obviously the new signing that came in in Zinchenko. You've also got Kieran Tierney or the ghost of Kieran Tierney if if he can stay fit. <laughs> Um, is there anyone else that you want to throw in there or are you happy with these names and to, to pick one from them? Yeah, you've got one of Tierney's good working legs, essentially, in this <laughs> side. That's about it. But um, I, I've been somewhat impressed by Malassia and I think Luke Shaw maybe a year ago gets into this team. I can't look past Inchenko. I think he's just he's such an underrated player. I was desperate for West Ham to sign him when he was going for around 35, 30 million. Um, he could do a job in the midfield. I think the if if we're going to be having someone, especially like looking at the head of the team, someone like Rashford on the left, um, and we're going to need someone to not only plug in the gaps that he's going to leave, but also sort of orchestrate the space that he's going to leave and, and put in a good cross and, and you know go there attacking. I think Zinchenko is just such a class footballer. It's a really big shame that he is injured, uh, and I'm not sure if he'll even be able to feature um, when the two sides meet. Uh, but yeah, I just can't overlook Zinchenko. I think he's such an underrated footballer. He's such a class footballer. And, he, and he's a really good, um, especially if you put someone like Xhaka in there, he's a really good person at sort of calming the team down and just sort of, you know, being professional. So for me, I'd, I'd have to put him in there. 
Yeah, um, he he's he was already penciled in <laughs> to okay. the left back side. Spoiler alert! Um, I, th- I think you've summed it up perfectly. I couldn't say anything more on that one. Let's move to the heartbeat of this team, uh, the midfield. Um, you've got quite a lot of nomination. I'm curious to see how we kind of figure this out because there's effectively only two positions here, as as I've hinted to. Um, the battle I think will go on for the attacking midfielder. So for the pure yeah. centre midfielders. I'm I'm gonna throw nominations for Casemiro. Um <laughs> I'm looking at this Man United list. Yeah. I keep I keep going down. I'm like Casemiro, uh, I see Fred there, I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. Ericsson, uh, maybe not this year. Um Van der Beek doesn't qualify in my opinion. McTominay, uh, not for me. Um so Fred <laughs> is not, if you want to throw Fred in there in Casemiro or any of the other ones that I've mentioned, by all means, try and convince me. And and to be fair, you convinced me on Martinez. So there's always hope for one of those players. Uh, from the Arsenal perspective, you've got um, Granite Xhaka, who doesn't seem to remember that he is Granite Xhaka. He's playing like uh, someone completely different at the moment. Uh, you've got Thomas Partey, uh, Lakonga, I, I, I don't think I'm going to throw him in there. I, I think it's fair to say Xhaka and Partey as the Arsenal representatives and then Casemiro and I don't know if it's Fred as the Man United representatives. I, I don't know how you feel about any of the other ones that I've mm. kind of dismissed offhand um, and, and how we bring in the, the midfield. Well, I mean, you say Jacques has forgotten who he was, but I think for a brief moment at the end of the London Dar- uh, North London Derby, <laughs> he did remember. I think, you know, every single player from Arsenal's running away to the away end to show their support. And, and you know, everything's sort of a little bit calmed down and Arteta's has calmed things down. And then all of a sudden he's got to lug Jacques' body across because he's, he wants to get involved. He loves it. Um, but, I mean, he's been a revelation under Arteta. I don't think we've ever seen a bigger curvature of a football career than Jacques going from his you know, jeering by the Arsenal fans, basically telling them to stuff it and then coming into this side and essentially leading them to what could be a Premier League title. I mean, he he's one of the key players in that team. And I know we laugh at Fred, but Fred has been really good the last couple of years. I have to say, he's um, he's almost remembering that he's Brazilian at times. <laughs> uh, we have we have seen some good stuff from him. Ericsson, I think a lot of Man United fans will want to put in this team, but he hasn't been on Jacker's level and to be honest, neither has Fred. So I think he's got to be penciled in. Uh, and then you get the interesting debate of party versus Casemiro. Um, I mean, I had this debate with my friend the other, the other day, he was a Man United fan and he said that Man United have the best midfield free in the league. Um, currently, currently at the moment. Um, and I put forward City's three and Arsenal's three. And I just, we had this big debate and he, he seems to, be absolutely adamant that Casemiro has to be in the midfield three. And for me, I have to agree with him. I think Casemiro, since he's come in, has been amazing for United. He's the definition of building from the back. And realistically, going forward as well, he's looked really good. I'm not overlooking Thomas Partey, though. He's He's been really good. And, and when Arsenal sort of were calling out for maybe they needed a new six or maybe Partey wasn't that player, he has stepped up and he has been able to have these Ruben Neves-like moments of shooting from outside the box and but I just think Casemiro is such a such a good cog in this team that he will allow people like Xhaka to move forward. He will allow people like our number 10 
to have the freedom to do whatever they want, which I think in both tens cases is probably quite good. So for me, I'd, I'd be going for uh, Xhaka and Casemiro. Are, are you more Xhaka party or? No, I like this balance. I also like the left foot on the left side, the right foot on the right side. I, I yeah. like the balance of this. I, I, I like that Xhaka won't need to be as defensive minded if Casemiro's there. Cause I think that's when Xhaka has the problems. When you ask him to do too much defensively. Um, if he can be of the two, if he can be the one that advances and joins the attack, I think it's great. We've got Zinchenko in there to tuck in. Um, if need be to, to help protect Xhaka as well. Um, I like that. I like that midfield setup and it, it gives us the freedom to get to probably the more exciting side of the pitch, in my opinion, with the players that we have at our disposal here. I want to start with the wingers before I get to the attacking midfielder, because I think that that could be a toss up in my opinion. But let's yeah. start on the right hand side. Obviously, Man United will be nominating the fidget spinner that is Anthony. Now, <laughs> to be fair to him, he's getting goals at the moment. I, I don't know if he is at Saka's level at the moment. I think Saka has just stepped up another notch so far this season. So I would throw Saka as my nomination for the right hand side. Um, I don't know if you want to include Garnacho in the debate for the right hand side or if, if he usually comes on on the left hand side after Rashford, um, mm. has torn a team to, to pieces. So I, I don't know how you feel about that, uh, side of things. Obviously Sancho's injured, but if, if you do want to throw in his name or any of the other ones like Elanga, do let me know. From Arsenal's perspective, as I said, I think Saka is the one to throw in there. I'm not really keen on putting any of the other players on the right-hand side. Um, so, yeah. Convince me not to put Saka in the team if, if you don't want Saka to start. Oh, basically. mate, it'd be so hard for me to do that. You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever been more wrong about a player than I have been about Saka. Um, I just I just didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see how good he was. I didn't see how hard he works. I didn't see the ability... Um, I, I was sort of confused at times as to what Arsenal fans were talking about because any time I saw him, it's like, well, yeah, I can see you've got a good player there, but he just seems quite hardworking. He seems like he pops up with goals every now and then. He, he leads games nowadays. You know, he's a game-changing player. Probably, if Bellingham wasn't playing in the World Cup, he probably would be in for a shout of being our our best player. I think he was unreal. Um, I, there's nothing I could possibly say to try and and I think it, I think Man United fans would struggle to put anyone ahead of Saka uh, I, I don't think anyone can really get ahead of him yeah it, it's almost a coming of age season for him um, and, and it's really exciting to see so on the left hand side um, probably the most informed player at the moment in the Premier League Marcus Rashford um, yeah. he's probably the the name that I would throw in there I think Martinelli to be fair has had a decent season and would argue to to stake a claim in the team. But with the way Rashford's playing at the moment, I, I don't think we can look past him. Well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Tad, if Rashford has a, has a shout to go up top instead of on the wings, potentially. Okay. I mean, it is hard for me to overlook Martinelli with what he's done this season. I'm, I'm such a big Martinelli fan and I love his directness, especially in a 4 2 3 1. You need a winger who's going to be very direct, keen to beat players. I think he is that. And, and Rashford, for me, he does go into that striker role. But then I'm thinking to myself, if we have Jesus, then Jesus will come onto the wing and Rashford they will interchange. Um, you know, honestly, it might just be better to go straight to striker and then debate the the core of the team as the number 10 afterwards. Because for me, I think if we put Rashford at left wing, 
then we kind of have to put Jesus up top. But if we put Martinelli on the left, then we have to put Rashford up top. So I don't know what you think about that. It, it, it's an interesting one. Um, I think Jesus, the work rate is obviously there to see. Um, he has chipped in with goals every now and then, but but is he not the player I do that like the facilitate Rashford? I do like the prospect of Rashford up top with either one of um, you know Odegaard or Fernandez behind them because that will I think allow us to stretch teams more because Rashford will play on the shoulder, whereas Jesus not always is going to do that, and that might eat into the space of Odegaard and Fernandez in this team. So maybe let's put Rashford up top. Um, maybe it's recency bias with uh, Jesus not being playing at the moment, but he did seem to sort of cool down a little bit to towards mm. the, the World Cup in any case. So yeah, I like the idea of Rashford up top. So that leaves Martinelli to go in um, on the wing. I think that's direct pacey winger on that left-hand side, especially to make up for Zinchenko, who's going to sit back a little bit, and Ben White, who's going to sit back. We've now got two really game-changer wingers that, that are going to run at, at the defense and, and cause problems. Rashford up top, um, he's been scoring goals of late anyway, so at least we'll have the goals there. Now the, the proper debate starts. Um, Bruno Fernandes or Odegaard uh, in behind and, and to basically complete this team. Mate, I'm going to need you to take the lead on this one because <laughs> I'm I'm honestly not sure where we go with this. Two players who... I mean, at, at the top, have been absolutely incredible. But, you know, there was this little sort of dwindling from Fernandes. And I think he's, he's kind of got it back a little bit. But then I, you look at the form of Odegaard and how he's playing in this Arsenal team. And it's so hard to overlook him. So I'm going to need um, some pretty big convincing from Tad. You need to give me all the variables in this one, mate. Yeah, look, from from uh, Fernandes, I, I think you do get more of a progressive passing in terms of long balls type of player. So if if it is a situation where we get on the ball on the counter-attack, we don't need necessarily Jacques and Casemiro to do too much. Just clean up the mess, get the ball to Fernandez, and he's looking to ping balls into space to um, Martinelli, Rashford, Saka, sort of running out at the defense, which could cause problems. I don't know if Odegaard has that necessarily in his locker, but I do think closer to the box, Odegaard has more in his locker in terms of his passing. Um, so do we, do we cater for uh, a counter-attacking team or more a ball-possessive team? If it's ball-possessive, I would favor Odegaard because I think mm. we need that guy that's going to move into the spaces, play those cute little passes, the reverse passes, the no-look passes. Bruno Fernandes, I think, is more suited to a counter-attacking style of football. Um, the only thing I worry about with Bruno Fernandes is he takes 500 shots a game uh, and maybe scores three of them. Uh, that would start to irritate me a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, I think it depends on how you, you want us to go. If, if we're going to be ball dominant, I'm looking at the players we got. Martinez, Saliba, White, Zinchenko, Ramsdale, all comfortable on the ball. Xhaka, mm. Casemiro, all comfortable on the ball. And then, so if we're, if we're going to have a lot of the ball uh, as it's looking like, my vote would be for Odegaard just to, to break down defenses when they sort of sit back and, and try and make it difficult to beat. 
Is there is there potentially an argument here to put Odegaard in the eight ahead of Xhaka? Oh, you could do that because I, I, I wouldn't say no to that. Because I I look, I love Xhaka and I think he's really good, but for me, I think this team is going to work best on the counter attack, having direct players like Martinelli and Saka um, breaking in. I think I think the only way Rashford scores goals is if we do, you know, this idea of playing quite a high line, stealing the ball, feeding it to someone like Fernandez and playing the ball in behind or playing the ball direct to players like Martinelli and Saka. So for me, I kind of feel like Fernandez has to be in the team from that point of view. But then I'm thinking to myself, can we really leave Odegaard out of the team? You know, I, but then again, I'm thinking, can we really leave Shaka out of the team? So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm more worried option. about leaving Odegaard than Shaka for my Twitter mentions. Yeah, personally. I don't know. <laughs> but, I, think, and I think Odegaard works more better as an eight. I also think he's a bit defensively sound. But then I also think to myself, you know, Xhaka's just he's got this dog in him, isn't he? He's got this like just unrivaled. He, when he's on that football pitch, all he cares about is winning. And how many how many players in that team have we got? You know, Saka's a very nice guy. Martinelli as well. Rashford as well. You know, Fernandez doesn't really get too stuck in. Are we being too nice here, Tad? Do we need that bit of, you know, do we need that bit of bastard? Do we need a little bit more bastard? You know, we've got Martinelli. It will be, do we need it will be Martinez on his own. It might yeah, get too know. technical if we've got Odegaard and Fernandez on the pitch. That's um, what I'm wondering. It's the balance of the team, I guess, that we, we need to watch out for. Um, but... Mm. It could be that with with the fullbacks being very defensive, maybe we can get away with Odegaard playing as in in a pivot. Yeah, and if we had, you know, the Trent Alexander Arnold's bombing forward and deciding not to defend, maybe I'd worry about you know being exposed. But I think yes, we're limiting Odegaard's role a little bit in this one. But if he's sort of the deep line playmaker um, and and sort of keeps things ticking and and dictates the tempo of the game. That could work out well. I like that. So are we are we saying Odegaard over Xhaka? Yes, we are. Okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> let you take that one. I think the most interesting debate, though, is who's managing this team, Tad? Because it's not us. Is it Ten Hag oh. or is it Arteta? Oh. Which for me is an incredibly interesting debate because you've got this up-and-coming manager in Arteta and then you've also got this up-and-coming manager in Ten Hag. But then again, is it is it more... What's, what's more impressive to take Man United to fourth in the league, playing the way they are, or to turn this Arsenal team in the last three years into this just dominant force? Because realistically, I don't see a team beating them at the moment. They just, they have this sort of just mad way of playing. And, and all of the signings that he's brought in as well have been incredible. Um, I, I don't, I really don't know who's the better manager here. I think... <laughs> I'm looking at what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven Arsenal players, four Man United players. If, if we're saying we're going to have a lot of the ball, I I will favour Arteta. It seems like he favours the more ball ball hungry team. If if we're going to do horses for courses and and change our style of play, and we need flexibility with how we're going to play each team that we play. I'd favour Ten Hag. Um, so are we going to stick to a philosophy and play that way regardless of who we play and back that, you know, trust the process and back that our philosophy will come out on top? Or are we going to try and change the style of play each game to suit the teams we're playing 
and and hurt them in that way. If if it's that way, then it's Ten Hag. If if we're sticking mm. to one system and one style of playing, then then it, 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 I think Arteta wins that one. Well, the beauty of this team, Tad, is that we we can play either. We can play this sort <laughs> yeah. of possession based football, but we can also our team is going to be very good counter attacking. And you've got the players in the directness. Rashford loves running in behind. So for me. And I think to maybe get a little less hate on Twitter from Man United fans, we'll, we'll edge it to Ten Hag. Um, Incredible. And I think, that, okay. I think that sums up the combined 11, doesn't it? I think that does. Okay, so Ten Hag as the manager. We've got Ramsdale in goal, Ben White right back. The centre-backs are Saliba and Martinez with Zinchenko at left back. A midfield pairing of Casemiro and Odegaard. Bruno Fernandes playing in behind Rashford with Saka and Martinelli on the wings. That That team could go and win a league title. I think I'm just saying, but um, speaking of winning a league title, Arsenal are trying to do that very thing. They come up against Man United, obviously the back of a big win against Spurs, one of the traditional big six teams. Now you play another one of the traditional big six teams. You mentioned Arsenal are tough to beat and you're struggling to see anyone beat them. Can Ten Hag do it? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I think that, if if you want to negate Manchester United, you just make sure that you do not leave too much space in behind. And, you know, if Man United want to sit back and allow Arsenal to, you know, play possession football, they're going to lose. And, and and if they try and counter them and sort of, you know, incite them into kind of like, oh, you know, come into us and get caught out of possession, you know, I just don't think, I just don't think Arsenal are that naive of a team to allow that to happen. So, I think it's always easier to negate a counter-attacking team if you're really good on the ball and have a really good way of carving out chances in the way that Arsenal do. But then you do feel like United have got this goal in them. You know, when they've got players like Rashford on the pitch, I think it's going to be a draw, Tad. I, I, I just, I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw, but I, I don't see a team beating Arsenal at the moment. And I'm, But I'm also struggling to see Arsenal just come away with it against United. And, to be honest, it's fair to say that if United win this, they they could have a chance at you know potentially running for the title. There's not there's not a lot to say that they couldn't in the way that they're playing at the moment. Um, but for me, just like with other big six games, I do think that the hype does kind of get a bit you know ahead of ourselves, and I do feel like it's going to be a draw. It's a game that Arsenal are going to need to carve out a result, um, and I just I just I don't I don't see it. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a draw. It's a hard one. I really can't. Yeah, it it definitely is a hard one. And I do think Man United kind of have a blueprint of how to play this Arsenal side. I think they did well against them last time out. Um, Obviously, allowed Arsenal all the possession and say, we're going to get you on the counter. So similar, I think the the problem for Arsenal is Man United just had a test game in Manchester City of how to play this style. So I think they're going to do the exact same thing, try and get them on the counter attack. I'm going to give it a 2-1 Man United, I guess, upset at this point in time win. Um, and it should be probably the game of the weekend. It, it certainly will be exciting. But let's move on to Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. Newcastle obviously vying for that top four finish. They dug out a very gritty 1-0 win against Fulham, albeit Fulham sort of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, it almost seemed like in that game with the, when they finally got the penalty. Palace, they seem confused at the moment. Um, I, I think they still need to sort out who's going to play up front for them and how they're going to play. But they've got exciting young talent. I just think this game comes at the wrong time for them. 
I've gone with a 2-0 Newcastle win. Yeah, I, I think that um, Fulham can make themselves hard to beat. I don't think Palace can make themselves hard to beat. I think they do They do sort of focus on this idea of getting that young talent on the ball, playing people like Zaha and Elise. Um, I just think Newcastle are just so sound on the ball and they're so happy to just, if they've got possession of the ball, they're so happy to just orchestrate and dictate games. So I, I've also gone for a 2-0 uh, win for Newcastle. Interesting stuff. Um, let's move on to Leeds versus Brentford. Brentford being one of those sides that are very well coached, one of the best coach teams in the league, along with Brighton, etc. In, in in my opinion, Leeds, I think they've been unfortunate in terms of the games they've played. They've looked to be in them. They just have lacked that firepower. Now, Bamford's back, hopefully. Um, fingers crossed that he's back for an extended period of time. Does him coming back into the team give them a better chance in this game in terms of getting a result or do Brentford just keep the good times rolling? I think it definitely helps for them. I think they need a proper number nine, especially with these players like Ganotta. I mean, he has impressed me so much recently um, as a young player for Leeds. I I think he's going to be brilliant in the Premier League. And I I think he already is, to be honest with you. but again, the same problem with Leeds has always been their frailty in defence. You know, and, and they don't really have this midfield that can put a real stamp on a game, uh, unlike Brentford. And, and Brentford, like you said, is such a well-coached side. that I, th- I think they're going to run away with it in this one. I think it's going to be 3-1. Oh, 3-1 win. Well, you, you gave Leeds a goal. I, th- I think that's something they can take away from this game and, and try and improve on. Um, I've gone back to back 2 nils. I think it's going to be a 2 0 Brentford win in this one. I think Leeds will try and make it competitive and should be able to do that. They just still won't have the firepower, whereas Brentford seem to be just taking over wins at the moment um, and trying to capitalize, I guess, on having Ivan Tony as long as they can, you know, pending investigations and all of that stuff. Um, Let's move on to Man City versus Wolves. Now, Wolves are starting to turn their season around. One of those examples of bringing in a new manager and the squad all of a sudden looks rejuvenated. I mean, you've got Wolves players saying we're playing like the, you know, the, the old Wolves. So they seem to believe in, in what he's brought in Lopetegui. Um, is there a better time to play Man City? Man City look on the ropes at the moment. They've not looked like the Man City of old. Um, and we certainly said that about quite a few clubs on today's episode. But is is this something that Wolves could go into slightly confident they can pull off something? Or is the daunting prospect of heading to the Etihad with a pissed off Man City and, and trying to get something from them? Well, I think if you've got a player who scored, what is it, like 20 goals so far this season? Is it, is it, is it 20 the Haaland's got now? I, mean, I can't even keep track anymore. Um but the amount of goals that he's got, I don't understand how they're not top of the league. It's uh, and it's, it's absolutely crazy to me. And they definitely missed him uh, in the Manchester derby. Whether he'll be playing against Wolves, I'm not entirely sure. They are turning a corner. And I think City, City are kind of on... Is it the end of an era for Guardiola? It, kind of, it does kind of feel like that a little bit, watching them play at the moment. They're not the same City side. And, and there's been some very questionable... Uh, choices from Guardiola in terms of who he started at times he's rested players when they're fit uh, when he doesn't actually need to he's chopped and changed which is not you know that's not Guardiola he normally knocks out the same sort of 11 week in week out and it just dominates um I would honestly be tempted to go for a draw here but I I, I think it's going to be one nil C I think they're going to edge it out 
at the Etihad. Um, I don't think we'll see Vintage City just yet. Um, obviously, with Wolves looking at the other end of the table, the way they played against West Ham, they'll be happy to sort of sit back and defend and try and get something on the counter. And at times, that has honestly worked at the Etihad this season. You know, just seen through Brentford. I mean, how many shots did they face from City and still manage to come away with a victory? Um, so for me, I think City are just going to edge it. I think I don't think it's going to be Vintage City just yet. Um, but I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if there was a draw in this one. Yeah, it, it almost seems as though Liverpool and City have pushed each other too far. <laughs> like the, the the over the last couple of years, I've gone with a two-one City win. I think Wolves having you know the way they played against Liverpool in the FA Cup um, last time out, I thought is a good blueprint to play against City, where they're brave on the counter attack, solid defensively, and try and get them in transition. Um, I think they can get a goal in that one, but maybe Haaland just proves to be the difference in this game. KDB getting another assist. Uh, he's hoping to kick his season back up to, to the levels that we expect from him. So, so we'll see whether or not that City can get that result, that much needed result to keep the pressure on Arsenal. But we'll move on to a game that is going to be interesting in my perspective. It's Fulham versus Spurs. This one's going to be on Sky Sports. But obviously, if you guys don't need to worry about that kind of stuff, then clearly you have Liberty Shield, who are our presenting sponsors. This podcast is obviously presented by EPRindex.com in association with Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. You can check out their services at LibertyShield.com. You guys can save with the coupon code EPL25. That gives you 25% off of your router or the software VPN option if you go for that. It's a virtual private network, which is a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity, hides your IP address and shields your online data from third parties. You guys can change your location, avoid geo blocks and government imposed restrictions. Uh, to access any website, it allows you, for example, to open up the whole catalog of Netflix, opposed to just being geographically limited to what you can watch there. Uh, finally, go and check out EPL Index Shop. You guys can find it on Etsy. If you use the coupon code EPL10, you'll get 10% off. Um, Riley, we end the weekend off, as I mentioned, with Fulham versus Spurs. Now, Fulham are coming into this in good form. I know they lost to Newcastle last time out, but they made a game of it. And that's been the theme of Fulham this season. They make a game of every game. They're in most games. They hardly get thrashed. I think the only time they got thrashed was when they got a red card um, early on in the game. Spurs only turn up for half a game. <laughs> so I guess Fulham's game plan is to score as many goals as they can in the first half and just hold on. Yeah, I mean... Spurs always used to rely on stretching teams, get them on the counter. Um, I think a big part of that is not having Kulisevsky anymore. I think they are struggling without him. It's really interesting to see as well. Um, I mean, as a West Ham fan, I'm pissed off by Suchek starting week in, week out. As a Spurs fan, I'd be damn near insane watching Emerson Royale play week in, week out with the likes of Jed Spence on the bench. I can't understand why that's happening at the moment. Um but we're not seeing vintage Spurs. There, there is definitely something wrong with them at the moment. There's no, there's no real confidence. They don't, they're not sure how they're going to score goals. I, I think Fulham are going to edge this one. To, to be honest with you, I, I think the way they're playing. Let's not forget, it wasn't too long ago they just beat um, Chelsea. Um, I think that was um, was that was that I can't remember if that was home or away. Um, the Chelsea game. I think it was at um, Stamford Bridge. It was at Cottage, uh, Craven Cottage. I was at last Craven Cottage Thursday. Yeah, yeah, last week. Yeah. Thursday. 
well, they, they grinded out a result then, and I, I do think they'll grind out a result here. I think Spurs will score first, and you know, players like Mitrovic uh, are going to come into the game. And I, yeah, I just, I just, I, I could just see Mitrovic getting on on the back of a Spurs defender and being so dominant in the air. It'd be so easy for him to score. Um, see, I'm going two and Fulham, mate. Two one Fulham. It, it is interesting. You've uh, said Spurs will score first. Maybe that's progress for Spurs because they seem to to concede first and then have to try and fight their way back into games I, I, I that would probably be a worst way to lose for Spurs um because they'll, they might think oh we're over the hump of conceding first we're going to go and win this one uh from my perspective yeah I think as I said will uh, Fulham need to get as many goals as they can in the first half because Spurs are slow starters if they do only get the two goals Spurs seem to always think they've got a chance you you almost need that third goal to really kill them off um again maybe the 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 fact they're playing from home will help Spurs in this one but because Fulham are playing so well the fans are going to be cheering them on like like crazy they're going to be well into this game I don't know and and I for Spurs fans I hope this isn't true but I don't know if Spurs have the fight to go against Fulham I think Fulham are going to come out you know fighting you mentioned for example Xhaka's got that dog in him there are a lot of Fulham players that that phrase would um, sort of fit the bill for I've gone 2-1 to Fulham as well Mm. but I think it's going to be 2-0 to Fulham at half time and then Spurs start to wake up they get one back but time's just going to run out for them and they're not going to be able to to get that second goal but that is going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Riley, do you have anything you want to plug, put over or promote before we wrap up? Uh, well, you know, if you are a suffering West Ham fan like me or just want to enjoy the suffering of West Ham, then obviously I am live on the West Ham Way YouTube channel alongside my co-presenter Mark Carlaw. Um, obviously, they do stuff on, on Patreon as well for the West Ham Way podcast, which is very famous along West Ham fan base. And uh, yeah, I suppose that's the only thing I want to uh, t- uh, putting Tad apart from obviously a big thank you for welcoming me back on the show and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get um, done in on the new uh, event that's coming next week which is back for you guys yes Bank It or Burn It will be coming back next week um, we'll definitely bring you back soon to try and see how well you do obviously it's the game sh- where you guys will be predicting five of the fixtures that we discuss um, five questions for each fixture certain scenarios happening You'll shout bank it if you think it's going to happen or burn it if you think it's not. Trying to get as close to 25 out of 25 as possible. There's mm-hmm. a giant trophy at stake for the winner as well. So, And then obviously the bragging rights as well. So it will be interesting to see which of our guests, all of our guests hopefully will get a chance to enter that competition. Not more than, you know, I mean, have more than one go at it. You you should get a couple of goes at it and, and we'll see who comes out on top on that one. Um from my end, guys, go and check out uh, all of the content on EPR Index website. There are match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, and especially during the transfer window, all of the transfer news that you guys could wish for. Of course, there's a daily podcast show, the Two Footer Podcast with Dave Hendrick. Finally, also check out the flagship show that runs weekly. It's the EPL Roundtable, where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. They do reviewings and previewings of the happenings around the EPL. Um, last week's episode that came out, I think on this week, Monday, they were discussing whether or not Arsenal are title or, or you know champions elect and or, or is it too soon to be dubbing them champions already 
Uh, I was on two weeks ago. If you want to hear me rant about Liverpool and the situation that's going on there on and off the pitch, I think the off the pitch is quite interesting as well. Um, guys, go and follow the Twitter page at EPL Index. Go follow a tad predictable on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to EPL Index podcast channel on your podcast providers. Give us five stars. Write positive comments. That stuff really, really helps us out. I've been Teddy Ochenakira. You can find me on my Twitter handle at Tad Predicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. He's at John Empire SA for our guest intros. Our producer behind the glass, Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's been Riley Finch at Finchy Riley on Twitter. And remember, Chisinga Perry, Chinoshura. And still, Salah. Sports Social Podcast Network.